Our scripture today comes from Romans 5, 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not, who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace in the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift, followed by many trespasses and brought, followed by many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Uh, let us pray. Lord, I pray for this congregation that their hearts and eyes will be opened to your message, that you cast off any evil that is plaguing their minds or their hearts, and that you will break those chains that are holding them down so that they can see you and only you, and that they hear the message that you have said and prepared for Pastor Mike today, that the law was created to expose our sin, so in that way we can get to know you more, and that way your grace can be given evermore. I pray for Pastor Mike that you make his words your words, your actions his actions, his thoughts your thoughts, so in that way he brings glory to you and to you alone, and that your message is heard today. Amen. Good morning. I want to welcome all of you that are here at REC Drive and also those of you that are part of our church online. We're glad that you're here. And I want to share a couple of things now that we're into November and a lot of you guys have quit shaving. Um, that Christmas is coming and we are going to have Christmas Eve services live here in this sanctuary this year at 2, 4, and 6. And we're excited about that. And we're also going to have our annual bell choir concert live where people can attend, unlike last year. And uh, we're going to have our Christmas cantata here live as well. So we're looking forward to that. And we do encourage you as we continue to reemerge as a culture and as a church to continue to protect and advocate for your own health in the midst of, of all that's around us. Uh, this afternoon, we do have our annual meeting of the church, the Charge Conference. We're actually part of a circuit now, so the Marion City Circuit with six other churches will be meeting this afternoon at 2 o'clock, and we certainly invite you to come. It's our 
it's a business meeting. There's a lot of forms and stuff like that, but you're certainly invited to come and participate in that. Sermon today <clears throat> launches a new sermon series, and it begins with a simple question. What is a worldview? And, and I, I give that not rhetorically, but actually provide this answer. A worldview is the fundamental framework from which we view reality and make sense of life and the world. So our worldview is always through the lens of what we see and what we comprehend in the world around us. And that can be different from person to person. I, I mean, I see this all the time in specific things. Uh, not too long ago, I was talking to some folks, and one of them was talking to us about um, their history with depression and how throughout the years in their life, they've gone up and down in the battle of with depression and as they walked around away uh, one of the people in the conversation with us says well i i don't see that i don't understand that at all to which another person said i do i understand it because i'm living in that so we understand that people see things with different eyes and it probably can be no clearer made as far as a point than if you look at architectural blueprints uh, some years ago we had these uh blueprints of this facility downstairs in the in the old building and they were kind of on uh you know those kind of easels that you have laying around the church and everything and and i was standing there with a group of people and uh, the 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 I, I i this is what happened okay so i'm not casting aspersions uh, the the woman in this couple looked at it and said i don't see it just a bunch of lines on a paper which your husband says, oh man, I can completely see this. It's going to be awesome. It, it's how we see and it's how we comprehend things. And it's the foundation upon which our worldview is built through which we see. Every single person has a worldview. You do, I do. And the question then as we begin this time of a series together is what is your worldview? And do you spend much time thinking about how you view everything that happens in your life and the circumstances therein. Do you contemplate, you know, specifically how you make sense and, and address the good and the bad events that come to you? And, and why do you evaluate them or why do you see them in that particular way? As a Christian, do you pray that your worldview lines up with God's or are you like many and just hoping for the best lots of people do that they they just go through life and whatever happens well that's what happens now not surprisingly since you know where you're at or you know where you've uh, joined us as a congregation online not surprisingly in the next few weeks we're going to advocate for a thoughtful faithful fueled worldview for for not only our church but for each of you individually. So we, we ratchet back one more question and say, why does a worldview matter? What, what, what is that all about? A worldview matters because ideas always have consequences, don't they? I mean, anything we think eventually has some sort of con consequence. Our worldview shapes how we understand life and the experiences that we have in them and how we act in response to that. You know, I have this wonderful, delightful creature of God named Micah, who is my nearly three-year-old grandson. And as far as Micah knows, 
Micah is the center of the universe. Right? I mean, that's a, that's a two-year-old's perspective. If I want something to eat, someone gives it to me. If I make a mess, even though they might be trying to help me learn how to clean it up, somebody else cleans it up for us, me. And if I don't want to sleep, well, those of you that have had two-year-olds, you know how that goes. But, but that's, their, that's their worldview. That's what they know at this particular time. Now, on the other hand... <clears throat> See, I remember a long time. I don't watch this show anymore, but I don't even know if it's still on. But do you remember when American Idol was brand new? You know, and Simon and, and the other two judges there um, would, I, I think it was scripted. I do think it was rigged. That they had some of these people that their worldview was the entire world needs to hear this voice. They need to see the great gift that I've got and I need to share it with them. But when you listen to their audition, it sounded like somebody was stepping on a feral cat, right? <laughs> you, you've heard these people, right? You know what I'm talking about? But really their view was so not based in reality <laughs> that what they heard coming out of their mind was nothing close to what we were hearing with our auditory canals and all that sort of stuff. So worldviews need to be based in reality not ignorance, and I mean that in the purest form of that word, or delusion. Because worldviews yield results every single time. Worldviews, when put in action, can do tremendous good or tremendous harm. You all know it doesn't even, you know, I can say a name that will make you all react negatively. Adolf Hitler had a worldview, right? His worldview was that the best thing to, to support his worldview was to exterminate a whole ethnicity. And a bunch of other things. That's how his world would get be made better. And we know that that is, is something that did tremendous harm in the world. Over six million people lost their lives in the Holocaust. And more in, in the war that accompanied it. On the other hand, if I say the name Wilbur Wilberforce... Wilbur Wilberforce's mentality was, his worldview was that, that, that the atrocity of slavery needed to be eradicated in Europe. And he spent his whole life doing and accomplishing that one thing because he believed, because of the word of God, that all people should be free. So our worldviews have consequences and when they're put into action can do tremendous good or harm. So now as we move forward, I believe that there are three fundamental questions that need to be asked of every single worldview, yours, mine, everyone else. Number one, where did we come from and who are we? Secondly, what has gone wrong with the world? And third, what can we do to fix it? Now, every school of thought answers those questions quite a bit differently. They approach them differently because the lens through which they look at the world is different, and they answer within their context and within their view. Now, most scholars contend even though they put different names on these things, that there are seven basic worldviews. Now, you can probably uh, do a, a, a Google search and find a different number, but primarily, uh, though linguistically and philosophically they might name themselves different, um, I, I'm going to, because there's no easy button, use a specific website, and I don't necessarily advocate it. I just thought they did this really easily for us. It's called Live Real, if you want to look it up. If you have an Encyclopedia Britannica hanging around, you can look it up in there, too, although it might be dated. But the Live Real website is a website that um, pursues 
inner strength and existential wholeness. And so they've offered one-sentence definitions, which, so of course, they'll find themselves lacking. But one-sentence de definitions of each of the seven worldviews. I'll go fast, so try to listen fast. The first is the materialistic worldview. Now, that's known as different. You know, some people would say this is the atheistic worldview. Some would say it's the naturalism worldview. Some would call this the scientific worldview. I'm not going to go through all those, but this is a prevalent worldview. And, and the sentence is that the universe consists of matter only, and the only way to know it, it is through sensory empiricism or reason or science. That's how you make sense of the world. The second worldview is the spiritual but not religious worldview, which is to say that there's something going on that's much bigger than what we see in the mundane uh, grind uh, of the rat race of life, and it involves me developing in some ways, some specific ways, with most of the interesting stuff, most of the most interesting stuff happening outside of traditional mores, values, and institutional religion. There is a third way which is called, you know, I mean, in broadest terms, it's Eastern pantheistic monism. Now, um, this would be the worldview of the Eastern mystic religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, um, and Taoism. And, and it's kind of explained, again, in one sentence, the universe is one ultimate reality. And to realize this is to awaken your reality. They're the ones that coined, not, not a group from Seattle, they coined the word nirvana. That's what that means, ultimate reality. And then a fourth worldview, <clears throat> it would be known as existentialism, which means that, uh, or that worldview means that life doesn't seem to be inherently coherent, meaningful, or particularly conducive to happiness, but we can work together to create order, meaning, and happiness even though it doesn't mean anything. And then there's the postmodernism school of thought, which is to say there are no grand meta-narratives. And a meta-narrative, I, I, I'm just going to go, you know, seventh grade for a minute. A meta-narrative means a comprehensive narrative. Um, this has nothing to do with Zuckerberg's thing, although that's what that's about is all under one thing. So there are no grand meta-narratives, only narratives, no facts, only interpretations, no independently existing reality, only perspectives that we construct, no truth, only truths that we claim individually. Sixth, nihilism. Nothing means anything. Nobody knows anything. There is no truth, and there is no answer as to why. And then one that you've heard a lot today is called agnosticism. And um, the way live real, it might not be the way that my professor uh, in seminary defined this, but the basic way they uh, explain uh, agnosticism is, we don't know, so we're looking for answers. And then theism, not surprisingly, the worldview of the Christians um, the Islam, Islam and the Jewish community um, goes like this, that God is the infinite and absolute creator, the ground of everything and everyone, the source and destination of life, so the beginning and the end of life, and all being, knowledge, and action. So the worldview of Christianity 
which is the fundamental framework through and from which we, as the Christian church, views reality, through which we make sense of life and the world, comes from the meta-narrative, that is, the comprehensive narrative of scriptures known as the Old and the New Testament. Now, um, I could talk a lot about it, but our friends at the Bible Project, which is in the small group uh, materials you have this week, have provided us with a five-minute explanation of this exact thing. So take a look and listen at this. The Bible's an important book, but it's really long. Yeah, it's a collection of many books written over a long period of time, but altogether they tell one unified story. So, what's the story of the Bible? Well, it begins by introducing us to a beautiful mind, the author of all reality, a being called God. And he has the power to take the dark chaos of the uncreated world and bring about order and beauty and a garden full of life. And to crown this accomplishment, God appoints these creatures called humanity. Or in Hebrew, Adam. And they're made as God's image. Which means that they're commissioned to rule this beautiful world on God's behalf by harnessing all of its potential and creating even more beauty and order. This is a story about humans using their power to do meaningful, life-giving work. But the question is, how? Yeah, humanity now faces a choice that's represented by a fruit tree. So humans could partner with God and find freedom by trusting in his knowledge of good and evil. Or they could seize power and define good and evil on their own, which, God warns, will kill them. And they hear the voice of a dark, mysterious creature that tells them the choice is simple. Take the fruit. It'll give you power and freedom to rule the world on your own terms. And so they seize this knowledge, and as a result, they become suspicious and self-protective. It leads to fractured relationships, violent power grabs, and ultimately, a whole civilization, Babylon, that has redefined evil as good. And so, God scatters this corrupted human project. And here the story of the Bible takes an important turn. We zoom in to the story of a man and a woman who come out of Babylon, Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, God promises that from them will come a new people, a nation that has another chance to make the right choice. And if they succeed, it will open up this new way forward for the rest of humanity. And this is why the rest of the Bible story is about this family. And it does not go well. Despite God's personal guidance, Abraham's family gives in to that same temptation to redefine good and evil on their own terms, apart from God. Even when their best people were in charge, rulers who loved God's guidance and had divine wisdom, even they gave in. And so Israel was warned by their own prophets that these choices would lead them back to Babylon, this time as conquered captives living in exile, and that's exactly what happened. So even with God's personal guidance, Israel fails. Who can succeed? Well, the prophet said that the story wasn't over. God's going to send a new leader to Israel to cover for their failures and to transform the people's hearts and minds so that they can make the right choice. And so the part of the Bible called the Old Testament ends, and these promises are left hanging. And then the biblical story continues into the New Testament. We're introduced to a man who comes from the line of Israel's kings, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said that he was bringing all these promises to their completion. He confronted that dark, mysterious evil that all humanity has given into and resisted its power. And then he announced that God had arrived to rule the world through himself. Jesus taught about God's definition of good and evil, and he said that real power is serving others. 
According to Jesus, it's people who love the poor and even love their enemies. These are the kinds of people who actually rule the world. That's confusing, but also really beautiful. And so is the claim that the story goes on to make about Jesus, that he is God become human, to be for Israel and for all humanity what we could never be for ourselves. He came to take the consequences of our evil into himself, and his sacrificial love proved more powerful than evil than even death itself. So now humanity's presented with a new choice. Represented by a new tree. Stick with the old way of being human, or venture into this new way. And in the story, those who choose the way of Jesus find themselves energized by God's own power. People who know that they are loved and forgiven by God can become people who love and forgive others in return. The Jesus movement quickly spread throughout the world, forming these new communities of people who follow the way of Jesus. But they faced problems. There was persecution from the outside by people in power, and inside there was confusion, even compromise. Yeah, because following Jesus is really hard. And so the movement's leaders, called apostles, they wrote letters to comfort and to challenge these communities to stay faithful to the difficult way of Jesus. And they're called to hope for the day when Jesus will come and change everything. And so the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, heaven and earth are united, and humanity can rule the world together in the love and power of God. Okay, so that's the story of the Bible, and it brings all of these books together. But what's interesting is that each book contains a different kind of literature that contributes to the story in a unique way, and that's the Bible. So... That's the meta-narrative of the theistic worldview or the biblical worldview or uh, the Christian worldview, all one in the same. And so at the beginning of this uh, talk, I I suggested that there are three questions every worldview um, must answer. And the first one is, where did we come from and who are we? The very first sentence in Scripture tells that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth you say well the beginning of what it's not the beginning of God God was already present but the beginning of God's creating the perfect world as we watch the meta narrative of scripture what we're going to see is creation goes from perfect to perfect with a lot in between there Before there was creation, there was God. Because of God's will and word, there is the perfect created order of the universe. This is how we start. We start in perfection. Einstein, you know, the scientist, once wrote, the probability of life originating from accident is comparable to the probability of the unabridged dictionary resulting from an explosion in a printing shop. Very small. So creation doesn't come out of nothing. It all comes out of God, which is what Simon read right in this spot a few moments ago. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. God created because God is love, and love is best expressed towards something or a group of someones. 
in his love, God shares his life with humanity. Because here's what we need to understand if we don't already, and you probably do, that when it says we're created in the image of God, what that means is we're created as spiritual beings with the potential of eternity, if we claim that. We, we are created, and the scriptures say, so in such a way that we have a glimpse of eternity, but not so that we can fully understand it. We are created in his image. And his life, which is light, physically and spiritually, illuminates and is present in every single part of creation. So, so the second question we needs to be addressed as well. What has gone wrong with the world? Well, it's very clear in the very next sentence in scriptures. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has overcome it. You saw that shadow image in the scriptures, and you know exactly what that was. We all have that here or here or breathing down our neck behind us. God's love is expressed in a creation of complete and total freedom. This is where the joy comes and the difficulty comes. Because God allows spiritual darkness. He allows that. And we, of course, name that as sin. Jesus named that as sin. And that's one potential, one potential outcome of human freedom. Which is why Christ comes. If we look at Romans 5, uh, 5 if it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. You see, Adam is representative of all of us. He's representative of most of us, anyway, because he chooses his own way rather than that of God. So he actually chose against God because here's the thing that seems to be clear in scriptures. <clears throat> we were born and built to be eternal. We were born and built and loved in such a way that we were, in, we were destined to be with God forever. But into that is, is through human freedom, sin is introduced, and with sin comes human death. Millions of us, in, in millions of ways, do the same thing that Adam did. Well, we don't pluck a fruit, maybe, but we find ways to separate ourselves from God by our own human choices. And when we ask the question, what's gone wrong with the world? That. We separate ourselves from God by our own human choices. So third, how do we fix it? Well, the good and the bad is we can't. Fixing it's beyond our power. A, a few years ago, Teresa and I bought a new CPU, a new computer. But no matter what I typed on my screen, we could not get that box to take those sentences and make them print on my Epson printer. They did not communicate with each other. I, I phoned a friend and said, how can I make this go onto paper over there? And he told me some things, but he was not right. <laughs> he did not know how to fix it either. So I took my little box. I put it in the car. I went over to the men and women known as Geek Squad. And they plugged it in. They typed some things, and then they made the sentences on this come out over there. I couldn't fix it. Neither could my friend, who was knowledgeable in such things. But the right professional, the external, could. I've had conversations with people, and I, I recall one specific conversation not so long ago 
where a husband was sharing with his spouse that he had indeed done some grievous things, not anything heinous or anything like that, but things for which he could not undo. He could not make time. He could not invent a time machine to make time goes back, go backwards. And so he said, there's nothing I can do that will undo this. There's nothing I can do that can fix this. Our choices, uh, this ex- example shows us, our choices often require help that's beyond us. And once we were able to put them with a professional counselor, that person, that person couldn't undo what had happened because we can never undo history, but they could help them find a way to fix their relationship and insert hope into their living of life together. The truth of the biblical worldview is simple, and it is this. Though we cannot fix the broken nature of the world, We cling to hope because the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and it cannot overcome it. Christ has no ability to be overcome. Many have tried to overcome Christ, including the murder of him during his earthly life. But it is impossible to overcome Christ because Christ is light and nothing can overcome light. Light is completely undefeated against darkness darkness is completely defeated against light you introduce light to darkness it goes away it's banished you introduce darkness to light again darkness is banished he is the fix christ is the solution so listen to this again listen carefully because i do think there's some words in here that need to be unpacked and can sometimes feel um, difficult Paul writes, but the gift is not like the trespass. The gift supersedes the sin. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Christ's gift is so large and so comprehensive that it overflows, it cascades down on all of us. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many, millions and billions, many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through this one man, Jesus Christ? You see, there's a very simplistic thing we need to understand. Christ is the substitute for us. In in Christian theology, we call this the substitutionary atonement. Atonement means at one with God. Christ takes our place. He, He knows what it is that we've done wrong. He knows the many or the magnitude of our sins and goes to the cross for us, for those past, present, and those yet to come. And not only does Christ, and this is what it means in the gift overflows, not only does Christ take the cross for your sake or your sake, he takes it for all of us at the same time. He gives the very best of him so that we might have removed the very worst of us. And what happens on the cross then is the world and our lives are redeemed. That means brought back to their original full value. You are perfected. You were made perfect, and you end perfect. Now, one more thing as we background where we're going to go in the next few weeks. There is full consistency in the biblical worldview from the first word in the beginning to the last page. 
God will completely restore the perfect creation. So, so let me give you some words from the last page to show the full circle nature of this. Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are, not for, are for the healing of the nations. Now listen to this. No longer will there be any curse. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and his lamb and the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and will reign forever and ever. No more curse. Sin is obliterated. Sin is eradicated from the world. Removing Removing it makes full restoration possible. Darkness is pushed away. Shadows, just like in that video, blown into nothing. And that is what brings us to where we are today. The moment that we call the sacrament of Holy Communion celebrates not only our worldview, but the truth that backs it. The sacrament of Holy Communion is a blessed thing. It's a tangible way of of really celebrating our worldview and giving God praise and honor through these very tangible symbols.